As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the Big Football Show, the Athletics Big Ten Football Podcast. Bill Landis joined by Audrey Snyder. Audrey, I have one important question for you that I think is going to frame this entire episode, and it's this. If you're Rutgers, would you rather play Alabama or Clemson in the first playoff semifinal? You want Bama. You want the top, man. All the Clemson hype, you want to like historically, you want to be able to say, we beat Bama. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you. Take. I also think it's a little better matchup. I think for Rutgers and Greg Schiano, based on what we saw last week or, or this past week. Keep chopping. Keep chopping. You beat at Bama. You go to the, the national title game. Then you take on Trevor Lawrence and, and Clemson, or maybe you play Ohio State in a rematch. You could see that Ooh. happen too. The possibilities are endless for for Rutgers postseason uh, after the Scarlet Knights come out and get their first Big Ten win since 2017, beating Michigan State. We'll we'll of course talk about that. We'll take a spin around the Big Ten East on this episode of the big football show, but I think we need to start Audrey at the, the game you were at mm-hmm. over the weekend in Bloomington, Indiana, a little bit of a, of an exciting finish there between Penn state and the end Indiana Hoosiers. And, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but, but I will. And, uh, you know, I, I said that uh, Indiana would win that game. The reasons why I thought Indiana would win that game didn't happen at all. <laughs> I was basically wrong right up until the point where they gave Michael Penix that two point conversion, but I'll take the victory anyway. Um, there's a lot to talk about from that game, and I know you and Matt Brown did did your own episode of, yep. of Dear, Old State, Dear Old State, breaking that down. So maybe some of this might be repeat for folks who, who've listened to that, but it was just such a bizarre ending. And I don't know, like, where do you start with it? Do you start with the, the botched clock management? Do you start with the turnovers, the penalties? There was a lot to dissect there, and Penn State found about 10 different ways to lose that game. Yeah, it was an absolute mess. And I think, you know, I know a lot of fans want to point to – the overtime call, the Michael Penix two-point conversion. I thought he was short, Bill, um, looking at the replay while being safe and not congregating around a TV in the press box. <laughs> We're all trying to watch the replay. Uh, so that was kind of weird. But watching it live, I had my eyes down on the official. I see him signal touchdown. I'm like, well, okay, you got to re- you know look at this anyway. I thought he was short. However, 
we can argue about whether or not that was the right call, but really I think it's a moot point uh, because Penn State didn't deserve to win that game. They looked pretty terrible, honestly, in all three phases. Um, it, it just was something, Sean Clifford, two brutal first-half interceptions. You lose your starting running back, Noah Kane, who last time we talked, Bill, Penn State was still last week hopeful to have Journey Brown this year, but he's out for an undisclosed medical condition uh, for an undetermined amount of time. So Noah Kane was your backup. He gets hurt on the first series, limps back to the locker room, later comes back, uh, with a boot on his left foot and crutches. So you're down to your third string running back who has two true freshmen behind him. So it was a disaster. Uh, you paid all this money to bring in Kirk Sharaka in the offseason, all that optimism and excitement. Uh, it was there on the first drive. Penn State goes down the field, scores a touchdown, looks really good. And then they don't score again to the last play of the third quarter. Like it was, it was bad on so many levels, but yes, Devin Ford, was instructed to fall down short of the goal line. Um, instead, he runs the ball and scores a touchdown, which essentially cost Penn State a game. You have the kickers who missed a combined, two scholarship kickers combined to miss three field goals. So, I mean, you could point to a million different reasons why Penn State lost that game, and it really was perplexing on so many levels. The, the end of regulation with Devin Ford scoring a touchdown mm-hmm. when, when Indiana lets him score. I went back and, and watched that play again on on Monday morning before we started recording this episode because I just wanted to be sure of something and I went and, and I looked at everyone else's reaction. Obviously, Devin Ford crosses yeah. the goal line and he looks like he knows he made a mistake, but none of his teammates were like celebrating that he was about to score and walk into the end zone. So I, I believe that they were instructed to get what you can and get down and don't score. But my question is, why is that the instruction? Why why are you even running mm-hmm. a play? Indiana had one timeout. I think there was a minute forty three left. Yeah. Take three knees. Take four knees. Make Indiana drive the length of the field with five seconds and no timeouts left. It's it's baffling. And this is the thing. I mean, James Franklin was asked quite a bit about that in the post-game Zoom. uh, And he said that, you know, we went over this situation this week. We went over it before the play. All these things. But again, why did it get to that point, right? And like, you know... I even think too, and Franklin said, you know, I got to do a better job. I, you know, well, yeah, I mean, that's pretty obvious after that one. I mean, you can't have, you put your team in a situation right there that it should not have been in. Um, And I just don't understand all that went into that one particular play, that one moment. Uh, Because, I mean, was everybody in the huddle saying to Devin Ford, hey, reminder, fall down short of the goal line. Uh, It reminded me in a not so pleasant way of Super Bowl 32 with the mm. Mike Holmgren let him score that comes back to bite the Packers. Uh, it was just one of those bizarre moments. And there's a picture that we have that I believe USA Today took. It's up with my story on The Athletic. But you see Ford cradling the ball after he scores in his left arm. And the look on his face looks like, oh, crap, I wasn't supposed to score. And you see the Indiana players signaling touchdown. <laughs> it's such a bizarre, bizarre image. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and Penn State saying that, you know, this is what the numbers told them to do. And I just, I, I don't understand it, Bill. And, and it really kind of builds into the portfolio and the resume for James Franklin in these late game moments. And it's, there's a lot to unpack there. And if you're a Penn State fan, um, I just, I mean, there are a couple of good things that you could point to in that game. And some younger players like cornerback Joey Porter Jr. who looked good. Jason Owe was was all over. He didn't have the sacks, but he was 
generating a lot of pressure, but for the most part, you waited all this time and Penn State laid a colossal egg in Bloomington. I don't want this to come off as me saying that losing a week one game to Indiana is is somehow a a referendum on James Franklin's tenure at at Penn State, but Mm -hmm. this is not the first time that he's had sort of situational game clock management issues. I think everyone's aware of that. Um, now this weird off season, I, I think there's an expectation or, you know, you give, you give teams some leeway that, that things are just going to look sloppy. We've seen that across college football. I saw it in the Ohio state game on Saturday against Nebraska, certainly some things that could have been cleaner for the Buckeyes in that game. So e- even with understanding that, that maybe things aren't going to be as crisp as you'd like them to be coming off of a, a regular preseason, um, or especially starting a, 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 a playing a game in October, where are Penn State fans with James Franklin right now? Because you can you can parse through all that stuff, and I guess you can pick any any reason you want for why Penn State lost, but at the end of the day, all they had to do is manage the clock the right way, and they would have won. All you had to do was take a knee, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it. Uh, yeah, I think that there's definitely frustration, and rightfully so. And I think part of that, though, too, like you look at how quickly they got to this level, right? You know, you're coming in as a top 10 team, Coming off the Cotton Bowl, they looked tremendous. But this was certainly not a top 10 team. I mean, that was very evident in the first half. But I think, I guess, Bill, the question is the frustration. I I think it's definitely with Franklin and the way he's managed or mismanaged some of these games in big moments, rightfully so. But I also wonder, what's the ceiling with Sean Clifford and his development? Because it looked like on Saturday, and it looked like this quite a bit last year, that the best part of his game was his mobility. And that was not at all what we thought. That was not at all what it's going to take for Penn State to try to get to that upper echelon. So I just, I really think there's so many reasons for concern following one game. And, you know, look, you try not to overreact, but when you, and I know you get enough of this with your other co-host Ari Wasserman and overreactions, <laughs> but I, it's just hard not to when your offense looked pretty dreadful and it looked like besides Pat Frymuth and Jahan Dotson you didn't have much and I understand you're a little bit handcuffed because of injuries with the running backs uh who knows we don't know what Noah Kane's status is moving forward but crutches and a boot bill that um you know I'd be hard-pressed to think we see him on Saturday but who knows um one of the receivers that you listed on your starting depth chart Cam Sullivan Brown he was at the game but didn't even play so I, I just really don't even know where this offense stands right now, to be honest. And I think the the overreaction piece gets gets amplified because you know what's coming the following week. Penn yes. State Penn State has to host Ohio State without the benefit of the whiteout crowd. It's going to be in an empty Beaver Stadium where where really it just kind of boils down to preparation and, and talent versus talent. And to give James Franklin credit, his teams, other than his first year, I guess, um, have been pretty prepared to play Ohio State. They've always given Ohio mm-hmm. State a tough game, even even if the talent gap between them um, does exist. And, and some years it's been it's been quite um, stark. Um, and this year, I think it might be a little bit too. But you just see a team in Penn State that, that came out and and really you know didn't they had a really good opening drive, but there were just so many mistakes, like uncharacteristic penalties, the turnovers you mentioned, um, the interceptions were just really really poor throws from from a, who I consider to be a veteran quarterback. Um, and you pull all that together, and then you think, "Well, we got to go on the road now, or not? Sorry, you got to go go back home now and play in an empty stadium. In an empty stadium, <laughs> what against what might be the best team in the country? I, I don't think we can yeah. say that just yet about Ohio State, but certainly they have the potential to be. 
And, you know, I, I said before the year that I thought Penn State would start 0-2, saying Penn State's going to lose to Ohio State is not, not any kind of pre- crazy prediction. But now that it's a realistic possibility, like what what how does Penn State come out of a, of, of a weekend next weekend if they do lose and they're 0-2? Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot about this team this week in the practice and preparation. Um, how do they respond after going 0-1? What's the leadership on this team? Because you have had so much turnover on this roster. Um, it, you know, the fact that you had Micah Parsons tweeting during the game, wondering also what the heck's going on with this team. That was um, hilarious. Yeah, I was like, we need more of this. Um, Micah, if you're listening to the big football show, we'd love you to tweet more. Um or maybe answer some of my calls, that would be great. But, you know, it's just, it's they're in such a bind right now. And you feel for a kid like Pat Fryermuth, right? The tight end elects to return and you get this week one. I mean, it's just, there's so many things. and I mean, you've got a veteran player in Lamont Wade electing to return a kick at the goal line. And then he fumbles the ball. Like, I, it was just uncharacteristic Penn State football in terms of the penalties, the turnovers. It was a mess, Bill. It was really a mess. But I think you look at some of the throws that Michael Penix, your boy, that Michael Penix was missing. These are throws that Justin Fields is not going to miss. You know, Fields goes 20 out of 21 this past week. So while I think Penn State's defense, there were some bright spots to take away from this one as it translates to Ohio State. Fields is going to go after this secondary. Uh, Penn State was prone to giving up big plays through the air last year, and they really haven't shown that they can fix it. So, you know, they did a nice job against the run with Penix, but this also wasn't an offense in the same stratosphere as the Buckeyes. So how do you keep, you know, this team from kind of going off the rails? And if if you end up 0-2, the good news is that you have Maryland Week 3, so, I mean, you have that chance, then you have Nebraska week four, so you might be able to get back to 500, uh, but yeah, I mean, you do not want to dig yourself into a hole uh, with two losses off the bat, but that's certainly what it's looking like right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is nice to have Maryland after you open with Indiana and Ohio State. Maryland, which lost 43-3 to to Northwestern over the weekend, and that will be the extent of our Maryland discussion on this episode. That's probably uh, more than enough time <laughs> that you just gave it, Bill. Yeah, br- just a brutal, brutal loss for, for Mike Loxley. Um, impressive win for Northwestern, though. I, I want to look ahead a little bit to to this mm-hmm. Ohio State-Penn uh, State game coming up this weekend, and and folks listening will be able to get more of that on, on Dear Old State with you. Myself and Ari Wasserman will certainly – um, dissected some more in our episode of four to six with A and B later this week. But since since I cover Ohio State and you cover Penn State, I figure we might as well talk about it. Um, 
Ohio State wins 52-17. to The offense looks pretty good. Justin Fields looks great, as you mentioned, 20 uh, of 21. Or was it 21 of 22? I have the stats. I thought it was 20 of 21, but it, it was really good. That's the bottom line. His, one, his one incompletion was a ball in the end zone that like was caught and then dropped when the receiver got upended. So he was nearly, nearly perfect uh, throwing the ball against Nebraska. The run game was not great, but, but good enough. And I, I think you can see the potential with it, even though they don't have J.K. Dobbins this year. The defense gave up some stuff in the run game, particularly quarterback run stuff, which, which I think is interesting going into mm-hmm. this game this weekend. And I guess that's kind of where I want to start with, with you. The idea that that Ohio State has shown itself to be susceptible to quarterback runs, really dating back to the end of last year, and then that showed up again on, on Saturday against Nebraska. Does that create any kind of advantage for Penn State? Like, What, what were they doing with Sean Clifford in the run game against Indiana, and, and do you think that's something they'll try to exploit on Saturday? I think they're going to have to because I think you look at Penn State's backfield situation right now. Um, if Noah Kane can't go, Devin Ford is now your your lead back. And Ford is not a between-the-tackles guy, which was also head-scratching because they were trying to run him between the tackles on Saturday. Um, so he's more of your outside, shifty guy. Maybe you know you can get him some balls in the flat, that kind of thing. So I think Clifford does give you that element. But I will go back, Bill, to your point. Last year uh, in Columbus, Penn State was able to get some nice momentum, like maybe going, whatever you want to call it, uh, but with backup quarterback Will Levis, who is a much bigger build than Clifford, and Levis was like that battering ram who came in and was able to move the ball because Clifford got hurt in that game. So I do think that Penn State is going to have to run the quarterback a good bit. Now, where this gets interesting from the Penn State side of things is they tried to go to their... Uh, I, I don't know what they call it. It used to be the Lion Package back when Tommy Stevens was here with Trace McSorley, the, the backup quarterback, basically the Taysom Hill Package. Mm-hmm. So Penn State went with that against Indiana, and Levis comes in. It was a cluster F trying to get people off the field, delay a game. They go to it later on uh, in the red zone. Levis comes in and fumbles the ball, very Taysom Hill-like. Uh, so I do wonder if we're going to see that two-quarterback package because Levis had some success last year, because he can take some of those hits. Uh, but Clifford's legs, it's something that teams do have to account for, and that's not something I would have said when Penn State was recruiting him. Uh, that was not the case. It was, hey, here's this four-star with a pretty good arm and and all those kinds of things. He was not a mobile guy, but he worked really hard at it. So they're going to have to try, but I do think you got a defense with a good amount of speed like Ohio State's defense should have, probably has, um, the runs from the quarterback might not look as great week two as they did week one for Penn State. It's just a really tough position to be in when when you are playing against a team like Ohio State. And we even saw it with Nebraska. Nebraska had over 200 yards rushing. Um, a lot of that was from Adrian Martinez. They they had a, a, I would consider it a trick play where they put backup quarterback Luke McCaffrey in the mm-hmm. backfield with Martinez, and then McCaffrey was kind of a tailback, and then he ran, I think it was 47 yards on, on kind of a counterplay. But that's I, I would consider that more trickeration than, than anything else just because it's kind of a weird thing to see the backup quarterback in the backfield. But Nebraska's tailbacks did not get much. Um, Martinez had a good completion percentage, but, but I never really felt like Nebraska was threatening Ohio State's defense in the pass game. And if the only thing you can do successfully is run the quarterback, and that's kind of how it was for Penn State last year, it's just it's nearly impossible, I think, to keep up with with what Ohio State's offense is going to do. You just need to be more explosive than that. And I, I don't know if Penn State has the weapons on on the perimeter. Obviously, Pat Fryermuth is a great tight end, but and, and I thought um, Brenton Strange That's, actually looked pretty good yeah. uh, against Indiana too. But 
the receivers don't really scare me all that much, and they're down to their third tailback. Like I just I don't know if the if the firepower is there to score the amount of points I think Penn State's going to have to score to keep up with Ohio State. I agree with you, Bill. I mean, I just I don't know how this offense can score and score in a hurry. I mean, we saw them. They actually to start the game, they came out with a sixth offensive lineman uh, in Caden Wallace. We saw him go to go to that uh, package a few times throughout the game. Uh, we saw him use a lot of the two tight end stuff, as you had mentioned with Pat Fryermuth um, and Brenton Strange and. I think that's going to be stuff they're going to have to rely on because they don't have the skill players right now. Um, I did not see anything on Saturday that changed my mind about that. Um, I think they've got some nice young talent to develop in Keandre Lambert-Smith and Parker Washington. Washington, the freshman receiver uh, who started, had a touchdown too. But, I mean, these guys are true freshmen. Like you, You're asking for way more than you realistically can get back in return right now. Um, and you're just you're in a bind. And on top of that, if you flip it to the other side of the ball, Penn State loses linebacker Jesse Lucetta, their starter, uh, for targeting. So he's going to miss the first half mm-hmm. against Ohio State. So now you're talking about a linebacking core where you're going to have Ellis Brooks, who made his first career start um, against Indiana. He's going to be flanked by Brandon Smith, the former five-star uh, prospect, who also made his first uh, start against Indiana, but did not appear on the stat sheet. Really quite strange game for, for him. And then you got Lance Dixon with him, uh, his recruiting classmate, who also is probably going to be in line to make his first career start. So your linebacking core just is going to look drastically different for the first half. Um, So you're just you're missing so many pieces right now. And even if this was a Penn State roster, you know, say in July that had all the pieces that had Journey Brown, that had Micah Parsons before he opted out. I still would have given Ohio State the edge by a little bit. And then if you say, oh, well, if there's fans, it's a whiteout, eh, that brings it back down closer. But now I just I think it's a really sizable gap, a sizable margin in this particular game. It opened as an eight-point spread, and, and already on Monday afternoon, it's it's up to 12 and 13 um, a lot of places. So so that grew pretty quickly. I think people jumped on those those eight points for Ohio State, thinking the Buckeyes went at least by by two touchdowns. Um, I'm not totally sure where I am yet. because like You look at the talent, and the talent gap is wide, but Penn State's had a knack for keeping these games close, even when you they don't have. think they will. So I, I, I'm not really sure like how to how to process that information. And the one thing I do wonder, and Penn State did a little bit of this last year, is is can Penn State get after Justin Fields? And and the mm-hmm. one thing that did stand out to me as, as a major positive for Penn State against Indiana was the play of Shaka Tony and Jason Owe, yep. their pass rushers. Um what what did you see from those two and and do you think that, you know, if Penn State's going to do this and upset Ohio State this weekend it has to start with those two guys? Absolutely. I mean, always the guy who people or NFL teams are potentially looking at him as a first round talent because he runs that 4340 yard dash, but this is his first year as a starter. So, uh he was really impressive against Indiana and it's one of those things if you look at the stat sheet it's not going to show up there. Uh but he was consistently generating pressure. And Shaka Tony, when he gets sacks, they definitely come in bunches because he had a four-sack performance against Indiana uh, two years ago when Penn State was out there. And I was talking about this last week on Dear Old State with uh, Matt Brown. And I said to Matt, I said, oh, I'm going to make you know Shaka Tony my breakout player because he just seems to have a knack for whatever reason that place in the fourth quarter. And sure enough, um, you know, he came through in the fourth quarter for Penn State when it looked like they maybe had put the game away. Uh but, but of course hadn't. So I think the thing is you've got the players there to generate some kind of pass rush. Uh, 
But if for whatever reason the rush isn't getting home, uh, then you're going to really, it could get ugly. Because the the question that I still have with this defense, and I'm still going to have it for probably most of the season, uh, is what they've done to correct those big shot plays. And this is where I think you look at Ohio State with that receiving core, with Fields, his ability to extend plays, move the ball down the field. Lamont Wade is been suspect in coverage at points. Um, it's been something that teams can go after. You've got a young cornerback in Joey Porter Jr. As I mentioned earlier, um, one of the bright spots for Penn State in, in, in Indiana was Porter. I mean, he's a guy making his first career start. He beat out two guys in camp in Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson. But Justin Fields knows that, and he's going to go after it, you know? So you've got a redshirt freshman cornerback out there, and I look for Ohio State to try and pick on him. Um, Same thing, Penn State's secondary. You're going to see if you can get Lamont Wade uh, to make some mistakes, and that's how you're probably going to try to attack Penn State. It is one thing that Ryan Day, I think, has done really well since he started coordinating Ohio State's offense in 2017 is find whatever mismatch might exist and and exploit it until until the other team figures out something. That's what they did against Michigan in 2018 when they just burned them with crossing routes the entire game because mm-hmm. no one could, could cover Chris Olave. Um, and speaking of Chris Olave, though, something important to keep in mind for this game coming up on Saturdays. Chris Olave left the Ohio State-Nebraska game late in the third quarter, took a really nasty shot to the to the head and neck area. Um, Ryan Day said after the game that he thought Olave, uh, quote, had a good look about him, which I don't know what that means. What does that mean? I don't yeah. think that's any kind of professional medical assessment. But uh, <laughs> I guess it's possible that Chris Olave wouldn't be available for the Penn State game. We'll hopefully get an update from Ryan Day on Tuesday. Ohio State puts out an availability report on Fridays. Um, so I think we'll have an idea of before kickoff what, what Olave's status is. Um, and he's their best receiver, junior, really fluid, um, good deep ball guy, just puts a lot of pressure on defenses. If they don't have him, they still have good receivers, but that'd be a huge loss uh, for Ohio State in that game. Um, where um, Where's Julian Fleming at with his development while we're while we're on this topic of the Well, Penn State court. fans are, are not angry enough, yeah. Uh, Fleming did not play a ton against Nebraska, but when Olave went out, Fleming was the guy who came in. So if oh Olave does not play on Saturday – I think you would see a fair amount of Julian Fleming playing in Beaver Stadium for the team not wearing blue and white. Now, what they should have done is if when we see this availability report on Friday, if Olave can't go, they should then ask the Penn State fans who bought the cardboard cutouts to resubmit their photo because it'd probably be like a cringe face with Fleming, you know, Uh, resubmit those. Because I'm I'm wondering, Bill, how do you try to recreate this whiteout atmosphere, you know, when you don't have fans there, they're going to have the cutouts. They want them to wear white. Um, but I was really hoping, wanting to see the fans react this year to seeing Julian Fleming wearing Ohio State gear because, they, I mean, it would have been talking a lot of trash. The student section would have had a lot of fun with it. Uh, but we're just not going to get that that opportunity now. Yeah, Fleming, for anyone listening who doesn't know, uh, five-star receiver, number one, number one receiver in the class of – 2020 basically from Penn State's backyard and, and Ohio State got them. Uh, yeah, I, I it would be fun to see that. Uh, I agree. Maybe we'll see it in, in two years when Ohio State goes back there in 2022. Uh, before we wrap up this episode, we'll, we'll take a quick spin around the rest of the Big Ten East. But Audrey, you uh, on, on our last episode, I made a comment mm-hmm. and I said that uh, Rutgers, which is tied for first place in the Big Ten, I was gonna say, give them their respect. Yeah, has the best pizza in the Big Ten in addition to 
to being an undefeated Big Ten team at the moment. And someone commented and said, the best pizza in the Big Ten is in Bloomington, Indiana, and it's Mother Bears. And you had Mother Bears over the weekend, so give me the report. I did. I uh, After nine hours in the car, um, an oil change somewhere in like Hilliard, Ohio, which I yelled out the window, Bill. I, I was yelling to you, waving hello. You never responded. Uh, so not a very welcoming time for me driving through Ohio. <laughs> Sorry, I was but, busy. Yeah, once I got to Mother Bears, uh, I, I did curbside. Uh, and, you know, I was looking online, like they have a million different pizzas to choose from. And I'm probably going to get a lot of criticism for my choice of pizza because I feel like the best way to do this is just like get a cheese pizza and then evaluate from there. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't hungry for cheese pizza on Friday night to go with my bottle of bourbon that I picked up at a CVS to sit alone in my hotel room and watch Wisconsin football. Um, so I got a vegetable pizza. Ugh. And yeah, it was Ugh. tremendous though, Bill. Thin crust, vegetable pizza, extra banana peppers. And they have like a special going on where you get a breadsticks and a soda with it. And I didn't even, I don't drink soda unless I'm having like as a mixer, but um, the breadsticks were tremendous. But I got to say that pizza was really, really good. Like if ever I'm back in Bloomington or if I'm driving there to go somewhere else for whatever reason, I would go to Mother Bears again. Absolutely. Uh, my, my buddy Ari Wasserman told me to tell you that uh, next time you want to tweet about pizza, make sure you open the box and not just tweet the box. Tweet a picture of the box. Wow. that's I'll send it. I have a picture of my pizza. I'll send it to him if, he, he if would, he's got so concerned. Yeah, he would love it. Uh, yeah, I'll send it to him and I'll, I'll ask for uh, his thoughts on uh, the latest recruiting rankings <laughs> as I as I tweet that out there. But yeah, it was this was actually the first time I got to see uh, Indiana's campus because I always stay pretty far away. But with no fans at games this year, you can actually stay like in the town at a lot of these places. Uh, so I did take some time, walked around their campus. It was beautiful. Uh, checked it out. I really like their stadium there. I think the upgrades that they've made in the last few years, it was awesome. Uh, but Mother Bears, I gotta say, Bill, I understand where that commenter was coming from. I don't know what place you have in mind in New Jersey, um, but I, whatever it is, I will evaluate it against Mother Bears when Penn State plays Rutgers later this year. I didn't have a specific place in mind. It was just any place in New Jersey would be better than any place in the Big Ten. But that's my East Coast bias. And yeah, I'm, I'm, it can cloud my judgment. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of these places, there's not great pizza around here. Like state, the state college pizza scene, pretty much non-existent. Yeah, not great. So, yeah, I appreciate the person who uh, pointed out Mother Bears because I did not know about it otherwise. If you can go to a place and get a vegetable pizza and then come away uh, uh, praising it as effusively as you just did, that that's an impressive uh, pizza but, joint. And so. the breadsticks, though, Bill. I mean, you had your choice. of I could have got pesto to dip it in if I wanted to, but I'm not that much of a monster, so I went with marinara. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, there was like some kind of seasoning on the breadsticks that was almost like a I, I, kind of like a brown sugar almost. I, it was really good. Um, between that and then I stopped at Tim Hortons on my drive back and got some coffee there, I really had a luxurious weekend. You get the full the full Midwest experience there. That's a, that's a nice I did. I, yeah. I drove past Culver's. I didn't stop, though. Well, that, the next time you got to swing through, get some cheese curds. Uh, see, I, I could have. I, I didn't. I wasn't wasn't fully versed in uh, in the Big Ten road trip scene. But I'm, you know what? We might have to be this year. Different times. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's recap. I guess more of the weekend mm-hmm. from the Big Ten East quickly before we wrap this up. Uh, the other scores of the games we did not discuss. 
Michigan 49, Minnesota 24, uh, Rutgers 38, Michigan State 27, and again, Maryland also played a football game. Uh, th- those other two results, Audrey, Michigan uh, over Minnesota, Rutgers over Michigan State, which which one of those, uh, I, I guess, which one of those do you take more away from? Are you, are you buying Michigan stock based off that performance? Are you bullish at all on Greg Schiano at Rutgers because they happen to beat Michigan State in their opener? Like, which, which one of those means more to you? I'm hitting the panic button on Michigan State. Um, I think the way they played, we turned the ball over, what was it, like seven times or something like ridiculous like yes. that? Um, to me, that's like, we talked last week about culture and setting a tone for your program. That was, deba- that, I mean, that was a debacle. And this is, you know, coming after watching that Penn State-Indiana game. I mean, that was really baffling. Um, but I will say I'm a buyer of the Michigan stock right now. I We talked a lot about it last week, and do they have a quarterback? Are we buying in? Um, what's Josh Gaddis going to do with this offense? And I think at this point, I don't see any reason why not to believe it, but I guess you can also make the case that maybe Minnesota lost more than we were giving them credit for um, in terms of, you know, you look at Kirk Sharaga, of course, and last year in that offense with Tanner Morgan, um, it didn't look the same. So, yeah, so I, I'd be a little concerned about Michigan State, though. I think I think that's where I'm at, too, in terms of in terms of the thing that, that I, I put the most stock in, I think, is, is maybe not being a little too high on Michigan State coming into the year because I thought I thought they had players like surprising talent that might make mm-hmm. Mel Tucker's first year there go a little better than, than most of us were anticipating and then to Rutgers credit they came out ready to roll um, they played really well in that game took advantage of Michigan State's mistakes um, looked like Greg Schiano who's I mean I, I saw his defense up close and personal for uh, three years here in Columbus it looked like they were doing some different stuff uh, scheme wise, uh, and maybe that's because of the personnel they have there. But but I thought that was interesting that that he appears to be adapting a little bit. Thought their offense was fun. They have some some sneaky good skill guys on that team too. I'm not, I'm not saying Rutgers is about to go take the Big Ten East by storm, but um, you know, but don't Mich- rule it out. Don't rule it out. Don't rule it out. And Bama and Clemson be on watch. Um, <laughs> but that was a really good start start for Greg Schiano and what he's trying to do there. And when it comes to Michigan, like I. I I talk about Michigan a lot covering Ohio State, and there have been times where I've gotten carried away with, like, this is the year that Michigan's going to put it all together and be a, a real I think we all contender. have, yeah. Right? So I'm, I don't want to do that, but I will say that that offense looks really fun. Um, and I, I think continuity there with Josh Gaddis is super important, and it's not something they've had there on that side of the ball. Joe Milton's got a lot of skill. I like the pieces they have around him. I thought their offensive line with all the new guys they had looked really good and totally like I mean they pummeled Minnesota. It was like 8 yards per carry in the run game against Minnesota. It was it was fun to watch an offense just sort of operating at that kind of level. But as you mentioned, maybe maybe we overhyped Minnesota. Minnesota had it was missing guys um, and, and special teams and I think that had an impact on field position in that game and, and when you can get good, good field position it's easier to score obviously. So I'm not ready to anoint like Michigan as I don't know, like like a, a legitimate contender or, or or something Ohio State needs to worry about in a way that's different from the past few years, but it was a good start. I thought they looked really good in that game. Yeah, and I guess Bill, you know, as you kind of move forward, I think we always talk about like overreactions, underreactions from week one. Um, <laughs> is it possible that some of these teams that we saw like look really good week one? come back down to earth week two or conversely if you're Penn State you look terrible week one and you know maybe you put up a fight against Ohio State like it's entirely possible I mean I think 
given how wacky this offseason has been for everybody, it, it's going to take time for these teams that are in transition with new coaches, with new offensive coordinators, all these kinds of things. Um, and that was my point about this Penn State-Ohio State game back when this, I guess, third version of the schedule that we're on now, back when this came out. Um, it would, I think it would be better for Penn State if they would be playing Ohio State later in the season as opposed to week two. Uh, I still don't think they'd win, but it might give them a, a more of a fighting shot given the, the stages of development that this offense looks to be in right now. But yeah, I think it's entirely possible that these teams that were saying, oh boy, you know, Rutgers, you look great, and Minnesota, eh, not so much. Like, things are going to change, and that's just the reality that we're in. And it's also the reality that personnel could change drastically from one week to the next because of this virus, too. So something that, you know, I'm sure we're all keeping an eye on um, as we try to make, you know, predictions and project one, two, three weeks down the road. It's it's a tough task this year trying to figure anything out that's more than just, you know, four or five days ahead of what you're looking at. Yeah, I, I think that makes this fun too, right? There's not going to be any yeah. lingering questions week to week because you're playing a Big Ten, Big Ten team every week. So, Indiana gets a nice win against against Penn State, and now Indiana and Rutgers are playing uh, to see who really is a top dog in the Big Ten East this weekend. We'll figure that out. And Ohio State hey, and Penn College State College Game Day didn't give them any love. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Yeah. Got to be more flexible than that, ESPN. You guys need yeah, to get this away. Clearly, they had their minds made up to uh, to come to State College, uh, rightfully so. But I, this show is going to be from Beaver Stadium, I believe, uh, on Saturday. So that'll be that'll be fun for people uh, tuning in Saturday morning to ESPN's College Game Day. Michigan plays Michigan State, um, and, and you'll hear more about that later this week with Colton Pouncey and, and Austin Meek hosting the Thursday show. Audrey and I will both be at the Penn State-Ohio State game on Saturday night. Make sure you keep it tuned in. To the big football show on The Athletic. And don't miss any of the daily episodes as we get ready for another exciting weekend of, of Big Ten football. And Audrey and I will speak to you guys next week. Thanks for listening.